something He doesn't even want us to try to earn. He wants us to simply trust Him by faith. And uh, I hope that you've done that today. If you've not done that in your life, I would encourage you, the greatest decision you'll ever make is the day that you come to the realization that there is not one thing in this world you can do to save yourself except to trust Him. He's the only one that can do it. He's the only one that has the power to do it. There was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus one day and said, What good thing must I do to be saved? And Jesus started giving him things to do. He said, I want you to keep the commandments. He said, I've done all that. And Jesus said, Okay, if you've done all that, then I want you to go and take all that you have and give to the poor. And the Bible says the young man went away sorrowful. The disciples listening said, Lord, that sounds like it's impossible. And Jesus said, it's easier for a rich man to go through the eye of an, or a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. What his point was was that there was not anything that that young man could do. And that's what he had asked. He said, "What good thing must I do to be saved?" And Jesus was illustrating to that young man, "You can keep all of the commandments, and it's not enough." You could give everything that you own to the poor, and it's not enough. Jesus was not talking about the difficulty of getting to heaven that way. He was talking about the impossibility of getting to heaven that way. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Because the disciples said, uh, how then can a man uh, be there? How can he get to heaven? And Jesus said this, with men it is what? Impossible. He didn't say it was difficult. He said it was impossible. Man cannot save themselves. Can I tell you this this morning? If you're trusting something you're doing to earn your way to heaven, I'll tell you, you can do the best you can in this life and it won't be enough. And don't get mad at me for saying that. I wasn't the one that said that. Christ is. God's the one that said that. You can do all that you can ever imagine to do good. You can keep all the commandments. You can give everything to the poor. You can... Uh, Do everything in your life to live good, and it's not enough. The disciples said, how can a man then get this thing settled? How can they get to, to spend eternity with you? How can they get to heaven? And Jesus told them, with men it is impossible, but, he said this, with God, all things are possible. You want to come to Christ, the Bible says, and Jesus said it this way, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. There are not many ways. There are people out there that will say, well, uh, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. That's not what the Bible teaches, and that certainly is not what God has said. God said that narrow is the way that leadeth to life, and few there be that find it. It wasn't a matter of everybody believing what they want, and as long as they have some kind of faith or believe, then they're going to get to heaven. Can I tell you, there's only one way, and that is in faith in Jesus Christ alone. That is the only way to get to heaven, not by works. Look with me, if you will, in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter number 2. And uh, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, and then we're going to look at a thought today, Lord willing, if we get that far into the message. If not, we'll finish it at the 1 o'clock hour. But we're going to look at a a thought this morning that is only given twice in Scripture. And I think it's very, very important. Now, the principle may uh, be carried over in several other places of Scripture. I will say that. But the words that are used uh, are certainly only given twice in Scripture. And 
I want us to look at those today, if you will. Look, uh, let's look in verse number 16, Galatians chapter number 2, and verse number 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. So, Paul is the writer here, the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a church, church at Galatia. And he makes this, this statement not as a, a supposition or speculation. He makes it as a statement of known fact. Because he's going to base something on this statement. All right, so follow with me again. Verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. That is the statement that is a known fact that everything he's going to say following is based on. One more time, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we believe in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto Christ. Paul makes this wonderful statement, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Father, we pray that You would bless the message this morning. And for the next few moments, I pray that You would help us to rightly understand this passage, that You would help us to understand the truth that I believe is so clearly given here and so much needful to be preached and, and, and spoken about and reflected upon as we live our lives in a way that we long to be pleasing to You in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul here is emphasizing the fact that we are not under the law anymore and we are not going to be justified or made just as if we had never sinned, if you will think of it that way, that we are righteous in the sight of God. We will not do that, he says, by the keeping of the law. In fact, he says, and we get down to verse number 16, the very last statement, he says, For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. It doesn't mean that uh, some will make it and some won't. Some will be good enough and some won't. He's saying if you're trying to make it by the works of the law, there's not one of you that's going to make it. The works of the law are not going to save us from our sin. <clears throat> by the way, does that mean then that the law is made of no effect? That's not it at all. That's not what Paul's getting at here. Paul is not saying that the law has no benefit to us. What he is saying is that the law does not justify us. The law, the Bible teaches quite clearly, is a schoolmaster to help bring us to Christ, to help us to see how far we fall short. Now, the thought I want us to focus on, if you will, is in verse number 21. We're going to take a few moments to think of a few things about this this morning. For I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the, come by the law, then 
Christ is dead in vain. I want us to think about this for a few moments this morning on frustrating the grace of God. All of us know what it is to be frustrated, don't we? Any of you ever go through a life with zero frustration? Not if you had kids, I promise you that. All right. <laughs> I hate to say it this way, but even if you have a spouse, sometimes there's frustration, right? And uh, if you don't have either of those, if you have a friend, uh, if you are actually interacting in public, <laughs> there is frustration involved, isn't there? There's oftentimes frustration. I want you to hold your place here for a moment. Turn with me to the Old Testament book of Ezra for a few moments, if you will. Ezra, and we uh, have been studying a little bit about Nehemiah and the times of Ezra and uh, some of these fellas uh, back in uh, that time period. And uh, Ezra chapter number 4, <coughs> excuse me, Ezra chapter number 4, and this is the only other place in Scripture that this word is used. I am a firm believer that the Bible uh, helps to give uh, its own definition of words, and that we look at every time that the Bible uses a particular word to make sure that we understand fully how these words are used. And so let's look in Ezra chapter number 4 and verse number 5. And uh, here we find that uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, they've been laboring and working, trying to accomplish some things for the Lord, and, and Ezra is more concerned with the spiritual well-being of Israel and trying to deal with some things there. But notice here in verse number 5, the Bible says, uh, let's back up verse number 4, Then the people of the land weakened, notice this, weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to what? To frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyprus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. We find that Ezra says, listen, there were some people that were dead set against God prospering the nation of Israel. There were people that were dead set against the, the people of Israel having a revival in their heart and coming to God and doing uh, what God was uh, pleased with. And they were so much so that they were uh, uh, criticizing, they were writing letters to leaders and uh, falsely accusing them. And Ezra uses this word and he says that they were frustrating this word. They were doing everything that they could to antagonize, to, to, to needle, to cause there to be a friction there, to cause there to be dissatisfaction in their pursuit. Come back to Galatians chapter number 2 for a moment now. And I want us to think this thought for a few moments, and we're going to look at a couple of things that Paul deals with here regarding this, I believe, as he leads into verse number 21. When we look at this idea of frustrating, there are times that we understand and have been through times of frustration. The idea that there is a God, think about this for a moment and try to, try to for the next few minutes, think of God the way that He is. We, we oftentimes think so small of God. We, we try to humanize Him. We try to put Him on our level oftentimes, don't we? We put Him just slightly above maybe uh, where we are. But I want you to understand something. God is an absolute holy God. He, he does not have... In fact, John, uh, John, I believe, is the one that wrote it and said, in Him is no darkness at all. Uh, it's not that He doesn't have much sin. He has zero sin. He is absolute righteousness. He is absolute holiness. And here is a holy God in heaven that comes down and He creates a world that is perfect. Uh, we've been studying in, in Genesis, and uh, we didn't get to it today, but next week we're going to be looking at pictures of Christ 
in Genesis. And one of the pictures of Christ, I think, is, is the picture of Adam. Romans talks about this and uh, how that Adam uh, it pictures Christ in some ways. And uh, one of the interesting things is Adam is the only other, the only other man ever created perfect. Now, he didn't stay that way, but he was created that way. By the way, the earth was too at that point. <clears throat> we find that there was a holy God who made a perfect creation, a perfect man, a perfect woman without sin. And he says, now, I'm going to put one law in place. We have a whole book of laws now, don't we? He only put one law in place. And can I encourage you in this? I don't want us to miss the point. God was not telling them that they, that they couldn't eat this tree of the knowledge of good and evil because He knew it was bad for them. What God was saying is, listen, I want you to make a choice between trusting what you think is best and trusting what I know to be best for you. That's really what the law was all about, wasn't it? He was saying, Adam, you can eat of any tree of the garden you want to except that one. And God did not make a, a, a bad tree. It was not an imperfect tree. It was not a poisonous tree. It was not even a tree that would have been bad for Adam. But it was a tree that caused Adam to make a choice. A choice between, I'm going to do what I think is best, or I'm going to trust that God knows what's best for me, and I'm going to follow it. By the way, that's the exact same decision you and I face Every single day. We don't think of it that way. We don't put it into those words. But we make the same choice every day of our lives. In fact, we make that same choice almost moment by moment, don't we? When we have an opportunity to make any decision in our life, we are making a choice. Am I going to trust what I think is best? Or am I going to trust what God knows to be best for me? Adam is, 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 is in this situation in the Garden of Eden as a perfect man. And he makes the wrong choice. Now follow me on this. Here's a God in heaven who made everything perfect. He comes down. He's walking and communing with Adam and loving Adam. And, and they walk. Could you imagine walking with God in the cool of the day? And, and to sit there. What did they talk about? I, I, I can only imagine walking with God in the cool of the day. And Adam sins. And there's a holy God who cannot tolerate it, cannot see it, cannot look upon it. And here is a sinful man, and all of a sudden there is separation between God and man, isn't there? If I was God at that point, I'd have been so frustrated. You know, as parents, you teach and you train your kids, and you want them to do what's right. You, you, you teach them, you say, listen, do this, and it needs to be right. And trust me, I know what's best for you, don't we? We, we think that thing. We say that to our kids. And then they go ahead and they do it anyway, or they don't do it anyway. <clears throat> they say they know best. They get into their teenage years, and all of a sudden they are brilliant. They know everything, don't they? They know it all. They know what's best for them. And they don't trust mom and dad anymore. Can I encourage you in this? How frustrated do we get as a parent when that happens? Oh, if they would just listen! If they would just listen! Could you imagine how frustrated God must have been? If Adam had just listened, 
Paul, several thousands of years later, writing to the church at Galatia, he says, listen, you're not going to keep the law and be justified. It's not going to happen. There's only one way that you're going to be able to be justified, and that is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. (coughs) The fact that God was willing to send His Son to this earth is an absolute miracle. Why? Because if you can put yourself in God's place for a moment, and I don't mean to do that in a sacrilegious way, but think of that perfect holiness looking down at vile, sinful man. Why should he bother? If man's done that, I'll I'll let him... and, And we've done that as parents too, by the way, haven't we sometimes? Well, they they made their bed, now they can lay in it, right? They made their choice, now they're going to pay the consequences. But God looked down and He said, I love them so much, in spite of my frustration with what they've done, I'm going to do something to reconcile them to me. I'm going to do something that is going to allow them to come back into fellowship with me. And He sent His own Son to bear the marks of you and I that we deserve to bear the stripes, to bear the shame, to bear the death and the penalty for sin. He sent His Son to pay for that. And then He says, I'm so happy because now man can be reconciled to Me. Now man can be redeemed. Now man can be justified. And I imagine that if God is looking at at things today, how frustrated He must be with the fact that He had done everything for the redemption of man and how many are refusing and rejecting it. That deals with our salvation. And can I encourage you today, if you're here today and you have never, I don't care if you've been in church your whole life, but if there's never been a time where you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He did for you on Calvary, you need to get that matter settled today. If you're trusting the fact that you've been in church your whole life to get to heaven, I'm going to tell you right now, you're frustrating the grace of God. If you're trusting the fact that you've taught a Sunday school or you've run a bus route or you sang in the choir or you were baptized in such and such a church, I will tell you right now, you've done some great things, but you're still lost. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be hard... Uh, hard on you. I'm trying to say, listen, we love you enough. We want to make sure that you understand and know this, that God has made a way and He gives it to us freely. And all we have to do is put our faith and trust in it. And if we do anything other than that, we are frustrating His grace. Can I look at one other point of this and then we'll be done. In verse number 20, Paul says this, I am crucified with Christ. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, you know what? I have made sure that I'm not trusting keeping the law. If there was anybody that could say they had kept the law, I think Paul could have said it. He was, he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was, this man was a man that lived, breathed, slept the law before he was saved. If there was any man alive in his day that could have claimed I can be justified by the law, if it would have been at all possible, it would have been Paul. Paul said, no, that's not the way. He said, furthermore, in verse number 20, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Notice what he says here. 
Nevertheless, I live. How do you justify that statement? How do you say I'm dead, I've been crucified, but I still live? What he's speaking of here is his old nature, his flesh. He's saying this old life that I was under the bondage of, this life that I lived before I was saved, he said I've crucified that. I am crucified to the old nature. Notice he says this in verse number uh, 20, Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. In other words, it's not me. It's not my will. My will is crucified. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life that I now live, I live by the what? By the faith. He lives every day by the faith of the Son of God. He lives every day waking up saying, I'm living for Christ today. Not myself. I'm crucified to myself. I'm living for Christ. I'm living and doing the things that are pleasing to Him. Why? Because of my faith in Him. And notice he says this. He says, The life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and what? Gave Himself for me. Look back a minute, if you will, and look in verse number 17. (coughs) Paul says this, But if while we seek to be justified by Christ... We ourselves also excuse me, are found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? If we're, if we're dead to our old life and we're living for Christ, is Christ the minister of sin? In Romans chapter number 6, he makes this statement, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid... How shall we that are dead to what? Sin, live any longer therein. What was he saying? He was saying a Christian, a man who has has not frustrated the, the grace of God in the matter of salvation, it is possible that we as Christians can frustrate the grace of God by living in sin. He makes that statement in verse 20. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not, what? Frustrate the grace of God. What is God's grace? God's grace is His unmerited favor. God's grace is that which I do not deserve, God has given me. I don't deserve God's mercy. I don't deserve His love. I don't deserve His forgiveness. But He has given all three of those to me. Am I frustrating it by the way I live now? Am I living in such a way that I am frustrating God's grace? You know, the Bible tells us that every day His mercies are new to me. The book of James says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Can I tell you this? Every day God gives more mercy, and God gives more grace. If that is the case, then every day, am I pleasing God? Am I following after God? Or am I frustrating the grace that He has given me? you imagine how frustrated God was when He looked down and He saw what Adam did in the Garden of Eden? I've heard Christians say this. Well, you know, I, 
I, I can't seem to get victory in this, so God just has to understand. And I'm glad He's a forgiving God, and He'll forgive me each time I sin. And we don't even try to keep ourselves from sin. Can I tell you this? We frustrate His grace. God looked down and saw Adam and said, Man, He frustrated me. He didn't trust me for what I knew to be best for Him. I wonder what He must say when He looks at our life every day. Boy, they frustrate me. I give them grace. Every day I give them grace. I give them mercy. Every day I give them mercy. And that's the way they live. Paul said it this way best, I think, for to me to live is Christ. My life doesn't just long to live for Christ. My life is obligated to live for Christ. Why? Because I've been long to Him. He's bought me with the price. I don't own my own will. God should own it. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Can I ask you this question today, and this is the message. The life that we live now in the flesh, do we live it by the faith of the Son of God, or do we live it by our own will? I will say this, if we live it by our own will, we are frustrating the grace of God. I'm glad that we have a long-suffering God. If it were not for His absolute, infinite grace, and absolute, infinite mercy and long-suffering, the psalmist said, if it were not for His mercies, I would be consumed every day. Every day I would be consumed. God is long-suffering. But God, help us not to frustrate His long-suffering. May God help us not to frustrate His grace. Let us, not, let us not justify our wrongdoing by saying, I just, I, I just can't really seem to get victory on it. I, God must know my heart, and that's all that matters. No, no. I don't want to frustrate His grace. I don't want to justify what I do wrong. I want to try to get it right. I want to try to fix it. I want to try to, with God's strength, get victory over it. I don't want to frustrate His grace. There's two ways I believe the Bible teaches that we can frustrate His grace. One is in rejecting His salvation. He's made a way for you and I to trust Him as, his, as our Savior, put our faith in Him. And a lot of Christians would say, boy, that's, I can't believe somebody who would hear the gospel story and understand the love of God and the forgiveness of God and the mercy of God. I can't understand how they would reject God. That, that must be so frustrating to Him. And yet, if we look inwardly at our lives... Not only is God frustrated when a man rejects Him as Savior, but God is frustrated and His grace is frustrated when we do not live by the faith of the Son of God. We don't live that way in order to get saved. We live that way because we are saved. We belong to Him. I'm a child of the King. A child of the King. And am I frustrating Him? Am I... When God looks down each day and looks at my life and sees me live, does He look down? Like we oftentimes may look at our kids or maybe a spouse or maybe an acquaintance that we have. 
and our heart's desire is the best for them, and they just don't see it, and they choose their way instead of what we know to be best, couldn't we just say, Lord, I'm going to trust that You know best for me? And if You've told me it in this book, then that's what I want to do. And if You've told me not to do some things from this book, then that's what I don't want to do. Why? Because I definitely do not want to frustrate the grace of God. I don't want to frustrate Him. I can only imagine back in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, here they are trying their hardest. They're doing everything they can to encourage the people of God to have revival and to have God do a work in their life. And here are these people out here knowing what they're trying to do. And they're frustrating every time they try. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I could understand what God's trying to do in our lives and quit frustrating them? Take our hands off and say, Okay, Lord, that will that I keep grabbing a hold of, that will that I keep holding on to and saying it's mine, I'm going to go ahead and crucify that. I'll let it die with you. And I want to follow Your will now. I want to trust what You know to be best for me rather than what I think is best. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. We pray that You'll bless and use the preaching of it. And Lord, help us to understand this truth. Lord, not something we hear preached on very often, but certainly a truth of Scripture. Lord, how frustrating it must be for an absolute, holy, righteous, without spot, without blemish God in heaven to look down and see a sinful man a man who is weak in the flesh and be frustrated with Him. Lord, may we have the strength of character. May we have the submissiveness of our will towards You that we can live in such a way that we do not frustrate Your grace, that we can live holy and righteous and pleasing to You. Lord, may it be the, the drive and the desire of our hearts. May there be a fervency. May there be a diligence. May there be an effort that is given to live in such a way that we are pleasing to You. Bless the preaching of Your Word. And Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know You as their Savior, if they have been trusting all kinds of other things, but certainly have never put their faith in You, then Lord, I pray that today would be their moment, their time of salvation, where they would trust You as their Savior. They would not frustrate the grace that You've so graciously given to them. Bless the invitation and speak to hearts as you would see fit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed, we'll have the piano just play a verse or two of invitation. If God has spoken to your heart, we would like for you to uh, take some time to do business with Him. If you need to do it in your seat, that's fine, or the altars are open, you're welcome to come here. But as the piano begins to play, if God has spoken to your heart, would you do business with Him? Make that decision for Him? <coughs>
heads in just a moment. We dismissed in a word of prayer. I uh, want to make two quick uh, things mentioned. Uh, good to have uh, Natalie. This is Brent's friend back there visiting with us. Make sure you greet her. And glad to have her with us. I think her son's here with us, maybe downstairs in the junior church, I believe. Okay. All right. And uh, so anyway, uh, make sure you find uh, them and greet them, if you will. And then uh, those of you that uh, oftentimes go back and watch the services, uh, you have to you have to love Facebook, don't you? Uh, they certainly don't do things to help the cause of Christ in any way, shape, or form. And they have changed some things this week. And not only were we not able to connect the correct way today, which I think we found a way to do it, but it looks like a lot of our past sermons are no longer accessible on there. And I'll try to figure out where they went and what they are. The good thing is we do have a backup to those. So uh, if there is a service that you were looking for, trying maybe in the last couple of weeks, some of the series we've begun, that you wanted to go back and look at, <clears throat> if you'll let me know, I will send you the links direct links where you can go back and watch those on a different website other than Facebook. Uh, but I uh, just want to let some folks know, because I know some people go on Sunday afternoon and rewatch them, or they'll send links to other folks to watch. <clears throat> so uh, if you need that, uh, let me know. We'll try to get that to you this afternoon or at the latest tomorrow. We're hoping to get it resolved here this week and figure out what all the changes were that they made. But uh, they never do something that helps us. It always is a way to, to hinder us. Uh, so uh, pray that we'll get that resolved this week and uh, go on from there. All right? Let's be dismissed in prayer and then take time to fellowship after the service. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. We pray that You'll bless it and use it. May we take what we've heard and learned today from Your Word and apply it to our lives. Lord, not just, not just let it go into the file cabinet of our minds, but that we would take heed to it. Father, may we not frustrate Your grace. May we live in such a way that we are pleasing to You. I pray that you would bless the time of fellowship, the food to follow, and bless it to the nourishment of our bodies, we pray, and dismiss us with your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.